Hello, audiobook fans. Welcome to another episode of your favorite audiobook first podcast. Today, Harper Audio presents Kristen Meinzer. You may know Kristen best as the co-host of By the Book or We Love You and So Can You, two great podcasts from Stitcher. You may also know her from her time hosting When Megan Met Harry, The Royal Wedding Cast for Panoply, or Movie Date Night for WNYC. Needless to say, when it comes to getting a podcast up and running, there isn't anyone better to have on your team than Kristen Meinzer. Which is great news because Kristen is absolutely on your team. This is particularly evident throughout her new book, So You Want to Start a Podcast. Making a podcast might seem easy, but let me tell you, there is a lot to think about and consider when jumping into making one of your own. In So You Want to Start a Podcast, Kristen holds your hand through navigating everything from hosting and guest booking to editing and marketing. And the best part about this audiobook compared to other how-to guides is that Kristen is really encouraging the whole way through, and she does it in her own distinct voice. I was supremely lucky to get to pick Kristen's brain about all things podcasting, and while we got into the nitty-gritty, we also had a lot of fun getting off-topic chatting about things like reality TV, the joys of the Midwestern accent, and much more. So let's get to the interview today with Kristen Meinzer. So I'm sitting here with you, Kristen Meinzer. Uh, You, mere moments ago, uh, finished recording your audiobook. So this is almost like you're your like post-game press conference. So yes. so how are you feeling now that you've finished it? I'm in shock. I'm in total... <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't believe, you know... Um, first of all, I'm like, oh, I wrote a whole book. And then <laughs> I read a whole book. And I'm just so appreciative to everybody on your team who made it easy for me. I just... I couldn't believe how fast and easy it was to record the book. I recorded all of it in under eight hours, I think. Oh, wow. That is like incredibly fast. Oh, no, is it? <laughs> that's that's not how it goes for everybody, I feel like. Um, what was the experience like compared to your work narrating podcasts? Oh, well, on podcasts, it's a little looser. Sometimes I improvise. Sometimes I throw in, you know, a little tangent here or there, something to illustrate my point. But, you know, when you're reading an audiobook, every word matters. Mm-hmm. So I can't just drop the or A. And, you know, because sometimes it puts a finer point on something. Sometimes I really need that extra word, that comma, and everything really has to be much more precise when reading. So, um, yeah, you want to be precise, but you also want to be you. So I hope whoever listens still feels like I sound like me. I hope so. <laughs> I like the idea of you uh, dropping the word the completely from your audiobook <laughs> and what it would sound like. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a very... Uh, Intense book without the word the. <laughs> um, so now you've got the one audiobook under your belt. Yes. Uh, so would you consider doing it again? Is there, is there any like book or genre of mine that you're like, I think I'd knock that out of the park? Oh my gosh. So I'm not sure if you know this, but mm-hmm. I did write an Amish romance Oh, novel. I'm aware. Oh, you I'm know aware of your of your Amish romance. Return yeah. to Intercourse and yes. Amish romance. Yes. Yeah. So the podcast that um, I am best known for is called By the Book. Mm-hmm. Jolenta Greenberg and I live by the rules of a different self-help book in every episode. We record ourselves at work, at home, in the world. You hear how each book enhances and destroys our lives. And one book we lived by was called 
how to write an ebook in less than 7 to 14 days that will make you money forever. Now, we never figured out what less than 7 to 14 even meant. Is it like, yeah. is it 6 to 13? Is it 6 or fewer days? We, we don't know. But yeah. anywho, so each of us wrote a book in this time. And I actually wrote two books. I wrote one version of an Amish romance novel, and it was just not very good. So I threw it in the trash and I started from scratch, and I wrote another Amish romance novel. And um, and then I released it into the world. I did the cover art. I um, distributed it on Amazon. And um, I have sold dozens and dozens of copies of that book. Wow. I probably will be making pennies forever on that book, <laughs> if so, I'm lucky. So are we going to hear it here first? Is Are you going to record an audio version of that? Wow. There is um, <laughs> there is some buggy riding. There, there's some bonnet touching. Uh, there's a, there's you know there, there's some serious stuff there. I'd have yeah. to learn how to maybe dramatize things a little bit more. Oh, like do like a full audio drama, like fully sound designed and like get a full cast in there. I feel like it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah that barn raising accident. I just can I bring enough drama on my own to that? <laughs> and the romance with the NASCAR driver is that really going to have the gravitas when it's just me? talking about NASCAR. I will tell you that was my favorite part of reading the description of the book was <laughs> I was like, okay, Amish romance. I'm like, NASCAR? Yes. Interesting that yeah. that made its way in. <laughs> um, yeah, got to cover all the bases. Wide audience, right? <laughs> it's an ebook. Um, so the book is So You Want to Start a Podcast. Um, yes. What is the biggest mistake or misconception that people have when they decide to start a podcast? They're hoping to kind of correct with, with this book. I always say the biggest mistake is not asking the two foundational questions that I think every podcaster needs to ask first. Number one, why do I want to start a podcast? Mm -hmm. And two, who is it for? When it comes to the why, a lot of people say, oh, um, everyone's doing it. It's yeah. the thing to do now. I why wouldn't one. I? Yeah. You know, I want and, one. Where's my podcast? Yeah. But I really, really, really want people to think long and hard about the why of it. Why? And the who is it for part is instrumental to making the show. It's it's instrumental to knowing what the show is going to sound like, how you're going to promote it, um, what kinds of stories will be covered on your show. And if you don't think about who it's for and why you're doing it, then you're probably going to suffer a lot once you sit down at the mic. It might be fun the first two to three times, but most podcasts peter out before they hit nine episodes. And I think part of that's because people don't think through those first two questions first. But if you think those through everything else will be so much easier. Um, so what, what like, moment moved you to be like, hey, I have to sit down and write this? Was there, like, a particular thing you were tired of hearing or or was there a, a greater uh, cause for, for writing the book? Well, you know, I used to work at Panoply, which mm -hmm. um one of the largest podcasting companies in the world at one point. And... Um, when I worked there, I was the director of nonfiction programming, and I would look at pitches, hundreds of pitches every month that would come in. I would speak at conferences and talk to hundreds of people who wanted to start a podcast. And over and over again, I was giving the same sets of answers. I was answering the same questions over and over again. And I was running into the same problems in every sample reel that was sent to me, um, every pilot. And I thought, I want to help all these people because all of these people are terrific. None of them are dumb. None of them are stupid. None of them have bad ideas. But 
I think that there are some basic foundational things that people don't know about podcasting, and it's not out there anywhere else, sadly. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of blog posts. There are a lot of Facebook communities. There are classes and so on, and all of those are good things. I'm glad that all of those things exist. But in one place, all the things that I, as somebody who greenlights shows, what do I think people need to know? And I also didn't know anybody else who was working on a book like this who also had my three experiences because— I've been a host, I've been a producer, I've been the director of a department. And having those three different kinds of experiences, it's very, very rare in the industry. And nobody else I know is putting out a guidebook from that perspective that is there with the encouragement I want to give. I really <laughs> I, I really don't think this should be an insider's club. And yeah. that's something else I want to impart on people because I think sometimes the technology, sometimes the fact that most of the hosts are white men, I think some of that can make people feel Maybe I'm not welcome there. Maybe I'm not allowed to make a podcast. Maybe I don't have the expertise or knowledge to do this. But I really want people to take away from this. No, you can. You can. And your voice is a beautiful gift and your story is a gift. And I want you to go out there and share it if that's what you want to do. Do it. I um, I did find the book to be very nice isn't the right word, but it was very encouraging from the beginning in a way that a lot of manuals I feel like are like, you thought about doing this? Well, Tough, tough news. Like, you're not going to do it. This was kind of the opposite of that. And I really appreciate it. Yes. I yeah. really, really wanted to do that because I've read technical guides before yeah. for everything from putting together furniture to, you know. Those are good. Yeah. I feel like. those, those I need. Yeah. Everything from that to how to use a certain kind of software. And it can be very cold. It can be intimidating. There are certainly experts out there who want to remain in the expert chair and talk like experts. And I want to talk like a human because I'm talking to other humans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, up until four years ago, I didn't even have a smartphone. So you, <laughs> that, that just tells you about how technical I went into all of this. And I just, I mean, I the people who made me feel most relaxed around technology talked to me like a human. And I thought, I should do that for other people. Mm -hmm. Everybody deserves that. What made you change to uh, getting a smartphone finally? <laughs> <laughs> So I, um, I'm cheap, and <laughs> I'll just make this very clear. So it took me a very, very long time to even get a flip phone because I'm yeah. like, oh, then I have to buy one more thing. I don't want to buy one more thing. And then eventually my flip phone broke, and I went to the store, and they said they didn't carry flip phones anymore. They're like, look, lady, <laughs> we don't the time has passed. <laughs> yes. They're like, you're <laughs> 10 years late on this. You need to get a touchscreen smartphone. This is how it works, and this is what you're going to do. And, you know, it was great because then I could actually listen to podcasts on a smartphone like yeah. the rest of the world. I was listening to podcasts either on my computer or in other ways, but yeah. You now, were just kidnapping podcast hosts and lugging them around with you and being like, just do it oh, for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. They love it. They love it when I <laughs> kidnap them. They love that. Um, so something that I particularly enjoyed uh, in your book was your takedown of the concept of vocal fry. Um, and also your advice for hosts to not sound like Ivor Glass, which is something I relate to a lot. I feel like it took a long time for me to not do that subconsciously, and I still kind of do. Uh, but could you talk to us a bit more about why the idea of vocal fry as an issue is something that, like, gets under your skin? Yeah. First and yeah. foremost, I just want to make something clear. Ira Glass, if you're listening, I love you. You oh, yeah. are a national treasure. You are fantastic, and, mm -hmm. and I have nothing but great things to say about you. Um, so none of this is uh, to be disparaging to him. But, you know, a lot of people 
try to sound like him or inadvertently imitate him because, to them, he is what podcasting is. Their first version of a podcast was listening to downloads of This American Life or uh, This American Life spinoffs like Serial. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, they think, oh, if I imitate him, that's what a podcaster sounds like. But I disagree. He only talks like himself. He was never imitating anyone else. You shouldn't imitate anyone else either. And um, on the subject of vocal fry, he's talked about this on his show. Um, A lot of different people have talked about this on their shows, about why vocal fry as a category of uh, speech is fake. And the reason why I say it's fake is because it is something that is only targeted at women. Even Ira Glass admits all of the same uh, speech uh, practices that are supposedly what vocal fry are made of, um, all of those little glitches or uh, practices in how we talk, he does all of those things, but mm-hmm. nobody criticizes him for it because he's a dude. He's a middle-aged man, and it's young women who get criticized all the time for how we talk. And I'm not a young woman, but I am a woman. <laughs> 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 and, and you know, the thing is, all my life that I've podcasted, um, people have put down my voice. People have said I don't sound professional. People say that when my Minnesotan accent comes out too much, I don't sound so smart now, do I? No, no, they don't think I sound so smart. So I've dealt with criticisms of my voice my whole life. And I will say almost every male I've worked with, I've directed, I've produced, I've written for men a lot of my life. I've spent the greater part of the last decade writing for men and producing men, and none of them get criticized for their voices. And in the last few years, I've been very lucky that I've also produced shows with lots of women. Those women get criticized all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've been criticized all the time. And I know that a lot of this is, frankly, because we're not accustomed to hearing women's voices. Who are the politicians? Who's giving the State of the Union address? Who's in the House and the Senate? Who's on your dollar bills? Who is the CEO giving the keynote speech? Almost all of these folks are men. And I think that a lot of it is just that we are accustomed to hearing men's voices. We're used to men being authority figures. Over 70% of the speaking lines in movies are for men. Mm -hmm. And when we're used to men being the standard, then women's voices then become a deviation. This leads into the most important question I had written down on here, um, which is for all of us listening, how do we at home perfect the Minnesotan accent, the Midwest accent? Oh, gosh. Well, well, that's a real good question there now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I think that uh, some of the things you want to do when you're talking Minnesotan are maybe maybe you just appreciate those vowels a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You use those vowels. You, you, don't, you don't just let the vowel evaporate. You say the Minnesotan, the, the O in there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Is you know what I'm like, talking about, I do. Right? I do. Is that the, like, the key phrase in the way that, like, the Boston accent <laughs> is parked the car in Harvard Yard? What's the, what's the, like, the sentence for the Midwestern accent? Well, I think some people think the word about sounds yeah, about. very Minnesotan. Mm-hmm. Um, bagel or bag. Like, there, there are certain um, words like that. But also we have certain turns of phrase. Um the official state dish is called hot dish. That's one word. Oh, yeah. Um, other... I've, I've had many a hot dish in my life. Oh, yeah. they are delicious. Yeah. Do you like the green bean hot dish or the tuna noodle? I prefer uh, the green bean. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. like I like a good wild rice mushroom hot dish, too. That's good. <laughs> Although yeah. I prefer the phrase tuna noodle. Oh, like, yeah. That is, <laughs> that is great. It's yeah. just fun to say. Yes. <laughs> so the, the medium of podcasting hasn't 
been around for all that long. So I don't imagine flashback to you as a young child. You were like, <laughs> man, I can't wait until I fulfill my dream of becoming a podcaster. What was your dream before that? Or like if podcasts did not come to fruition, what would you be doing? Oh, my gosh. I was just thinking about this this morning. And See, I read your mind. Yeah, yeah. Or you were in my bedroom with me. Don't tell my husband. Uh-oh. No, you weren't. You weren't. No. But I... I <laughs> That's great. I, I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, God, what did I want to do other than be an activist poet? I mean, I knew more about the lifestyle I wanted. I knew I wanted to wear black turtlenecks and live in New York and chain smoke. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have one of those Chianti bottles with the drip candles. Um <laughs> I know I wanted to live around creative people. I know I wanted to live around creative people and be friends with creative people. I knew I wanted to make something, and I knew I wanted stories involved. And, um, yeah, those are things I knew I wanted. But I do have to say, when I was getting my MFA in fiction writing, Mm -hmm. and I was living a little bit of that life, I was chain smoking, I was wearing a lot of black, I was sitting at home writing a lot. Active po- active poetry, uh, poetry, right? Activism poetry. <laughs> no, it was yeah. it was worse. It was like very earnest short stories. Oh, very very earnest short stories. In that they included the character Ernest from the <laughs> Ernest movies, right? Yeah. And yeah. it was, it was lonely. It was so lonely. So I was living a slight version of that fantasy, and I don't like sitting at home all by myself. And and the idea of doing that for the next 50, 60 years of my life sitting at home alone and writing, oh, boy, did it bum me out. But (laughs) podcasting is great because all of my shows, I'm not alone. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always hosted with somebody else. It's always been a collaborative effort. Um, The last couple shows I've hosted, I've been very lucky to have great producers working with me or other team members. And so it's a version of storytelling where I get to, you know, explore different topics, different things about what it means to be a person, but I don't have to sit alone and it doesn't have to be entirely earnest all the time. Um, I like to think my podcasts are not especially earnest. I like to think that they're honest, but not earnest, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like to think that everybody can laugh their head off and then they'll realize later, oh, she was talking about her surgery she had, or they can laugh a lot and they can realize, oh my God, she actually was talking about losing her mom and I know what that feels like. So I'd rather it feel... A little, a little less uh, heavy-handed and not like broccoli. I never want it to feel preachy. And I think I suffered from both of those issues when I was writing, but less so when I podcast. Can I tell you, I've never—I think you just blew my mind because I've never thought of broccoli as preachy before. And oh. now, like, I'm like, wow, broccoli really trying to tell me how I should eat. <laughs> the thing is, I love broccoli. If I were yeah. on a desert island— and I could only have 10 foods, broccoli would be in the top three because I freaking love broccoli. I like you also, you broccoli. gave yourself 10 foods. I feel like normally that scenario is like you get one food and no, you're like, no, I'm taking 10 I don't with like me. that restrictive island. I like the island where you get 10 foods and one of the foods is a margarita and it's, another is broccoli. So your stuck in a desert island is more akin to like an episode of Survivor where they win a reward challenge and you suddenly have like a bunch of food while you're out there. You're looking at me as, as like I'm speaking like gibberish to you. No, no, yeah. I... It, you know why I'm looking at you like that? Because mm-hmm. you brought up that instead of naked and afraid. Which, oh, yeah. Naked I'm still and stuck in 2002 reality <laughs> television. Naked and afraid, though. Just the, I love that show. Yeah. And I wish there was a podcast version of it. Of naked and afraid. I yes. think that'd be really funny. I've thought about this before. Just give them a task cam and have them or just give them a, an audio recorder and have them <laughs> go out there and be like, well, still naked. Yeah. Still scared. 
love that. Podcasting as a medium has changed a lot very quickly over the years because it is still new and fresh. Uh, if I asked you to put on a Nostradamus hat and kind of look into the future, maybe two, three, four years, what do you think the big changes or trends are going to be in the not-too-distant future for podcasting? I think we're going to have more podcasts that are more that are taking their inspiration from Snapchat, from mm-hmm. Netflix, from video games, from um, sources that are not public radio or talk radio, and sources that don't sound like the motivational speech circuit. Yeah. Because there seem to be a lot of motivational speech podcasts. There seem to be a lot of public radio-influenced podcasts, and there seem to be a lot of shock jock talk radio sorts of mm-hmm. podcasts. And um, I'm excited for this era that I see gradually starting to happen, where we're seeing podcasts that are influenced by all sorts of other crazy things, like academic studies, yeah. like 36 questions, or uh, space travel. Um, you know, there was a show called The Habitat where it's just about people who are living in a dome, essentially simulating what life on Mars would be like. It's like the real world in space. Yeah. and. I'm into that. I, I I love the idea of more reality shows becoming podcasts. When Jolenta and I started by the book, we pretty much were the only reality show podcast out there where people were just recording their lives and, you know, mm-hmm. structuring it into a show. So I look forward to that. And all of the great things that we choose to, as a society, come home and watch for seven hours and 50 minutes a day on the TV – I would love to see some of those things translated to a podcast. I'm excited to see where it goes. I love that. I, I want to see the whole slew of reality uh, podcasts too. Oh, like, yeah. That's like, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of mining and a lot of innovation in like the form that could take place there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to see Married at First Sight as a podcast. <laughs> I love that show. I want, I want to see it all. And I already mentioned Naked and Afraid. Yeah. yeah. I want yeah. it all. I'm going to be really upset if by the time that people are listening to this, that that isn't already a show that you've started. Oh, like, man. I feel like you need to call up. Is it on A&E? Is that the oh, network? Man. What network is Naked and Afraid on? Oh, I don't know. But cut this whole part of the podcast. I'm making this yeah, podcast exactly. myself. Well, no one copy me. It's your intellectual property now. <laughs> We've said it out loud. You know, mail yourself the uh, the idea. <laughs> show it up in court. Um, okay, so I just got a few more kind of quicker kind of questions for you. Okie doke. What's your fa- okie doke? Oh, I love it. What's your favorite episode of a podcast that you have produced or host hosted yourself? Ooh, the favorite episode yeah. I've produced or host hosted. Um, one of my very favorite episodes that I hosted was. So when Megan met Harry, a royal wedding yeah. cast, this was a six-month show. It was from the announcement of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's engagement until their wedding day. And the grand finale episode, my co-host James Barr and I were at the wedding. And we just recorded audio diaries throughout the day. Um, everything from riding the train there from Oxford Station where some listeners of our show we're on the train and they saw us and they ambushed us from that to, you know, popping champagne at 8 in the morning to, you know, watching the actual vows. Um, it, and it was such a magical day. And we sent dispatches back as they happened to our producer on the ground in New York. Mm-hmm. And for her, it was five hours earlier or six hours earlier. So she was up at like 2 in the morning um, collecting these dispatches, stitching them all together. And, whoa, Lindsay Cradwell, producer extraordinaire, 
made one of the most beautiful episodes ever that made people feel on the ground. It made them feel like they were actually at the wedding. Mm -hmm. And the turnaround time and the magic of it was so special and unique and unlike any other podcast I've done. So that's very high in my heart. What was the actual turnaround time? Um, Like the, the number? Between um, us sending the last audio diary yeah. and her constructing something truly beautiful, I think it was less than three hours. Yeah. Wow. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. And all the while, she was live tweeting the wedding also. <laughs> Lindsay Cradwell. Everybody should know about this person. She's yeah. an amazing producer. Um, another episode that's near and dear to my heart is one of By the Book. And it's one of the earliest episodes of the show. It was when Jolenta and I were living by French Women Don't Get Fat, which is a diet book. And it was the first time we had lived by a book where, and and not just the first time I'd lived by a book, but in my whole podcasting career, where I was crying on the microphone Mm -hmm. and I was being incredibly vulnerable and admitting things about myself that I my close friends know, but I don't go around telling people certain yeah. things about myself. And in that podcast, I talked about my history of disordered eating. I talked about how I started weighing myself at least a dozen times a day and how I was having meltdowns and fixating on food and practicing obsessive behaviors during the book. And I was terrified before the episode came out. I was shaking, and I I really was on the verge of tears for 24 hours before that episode came out. Because I was so scared to put myself out there. And then, and you know, prior to that, I always thought I was a critic. I never thought of myself as um, I'm a subject of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the episode that changed things. And I realized, oh, I'm actually not just a critic. Um, at least on this show, I'm also the subject. And am I okay with that? Am I okay with it? And then the response was so overwhelmingly positive. And people were so thankful that I had actually just said the truth about what I was and that I was showing emotion about it, that it really made me feel like I could keep doing the show. I was on the verge of quitting during that episode. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. it really made me feel like what I'm doing is actually worthwhile. What I'm doing is not just a stunt reality show and it's not just a comedy show. This is something where it's not even about the books. The books are just a jump off point to talk about other things that make us hurt or make us confused in the world or make us not love ourselves. And so if I could do something to illustrate that through myself, not by giving a speech, not preaching to people, not saying accolades, but actually just demonstrating it through my life, that was worthwhile. So Mm -hmm. both of those episodes were very meaningful to me in different ways. Well, say on behalf of uh, the world, writ large, that we're happy that you did not uh, quit after that, that episode as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, What is your favorite episode of a podcast that you had no involvement in whatsoever? (laughs) That is so hard. That is so hard. (laughs) There are, according to uh, Google Podcasts, almost 2 million podcasts in existence. So it's very hard to choose just one. Just one. Just one. (laughs) But, um, you know, boil have, it all down. Yeah, I, 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 I have a podcast that is near and dear to my heart that I have no involvement with and never have. It's by Kim Reed. She used to have a website called Television Without Pity. And she was one of the first real TV bloggers who would mm-hmm. just, you know, talk crap about TV and do hilarious recaps where, you know, it, it was no holds barred. And so she had a podcast that recently came to an end, sadly. And it was called Little House on the Podcast. And 
she would just do episode recaps of episode by episode, season by season of episodes of Little House on the Prairie. And they're so snarky and they're so feminist and they're so calling the makers of the show on their crap. Like, yeah, good job of noticing that women only do this. You know, and it's it's just so funny. And yet it's so, it's done so lovingly. So as somebody myself who just loves Little House on the Prairie, but also, you know, the things we love most we can also make fun of. Oh, but, yeah, absolutely. You know, but you have to be someone else who loves it to make fun of it. Like, you don't want someone else making fun of your mom. No, but, yeah. But you can make fun of your mom. Yeah. Because you love her. Oh, I've got right? 10 minutes of material. Some, no, I don't. <laughs> My mom listening now just got very sad. Yeah. <laughs> His jokes are, who loves you more than me? <laughs> The punchline? No one. No one. Yeah. That actually, that would kill with her. She would think that's great. She would like, it's it's the kind of humor I love. It's funny and true. Yeah. So, yeah, Little House on the podcast and the podcast you make with your mom where you tell her jokes. Yeah. Oh, both gosh. of those. <laughs> that would be kind of, I feel like, a nightmare to make, but fun for everyone else to listen to. That was everything that I had question-wise on here. I always like to, to throw out... Uh, is there anything that I did not ask you about that you're like, Andrew, come on, like, ask me about this. Is there anything you want to make sure gets uh, said? Oh, Andrew, that is so nice of you to ask. <laughs> um, Andrew, what is your favorite podcast? Man. And now now I feel less OG cred for this because it's become a popular TV show, but I had such a great experience listening to Homecoming. Oh. And I feel like there aren't enough really good uh, audio, like full scale audio dramas out there. Yeah, and I feel like all of them kind of are the same kind of horror thing over and over because it's easier to do. Yeah. Uh, so Homecoming was a real revelation for me, and me and and my girlfriend and other people would like sit in a room and turn off the lights and and play it and let it like be. That that's kind of what I hope podcasting becomes in the future. That there. Next to movie houses, that there are also podcast houses where you can go in. It's a dark room with like surround sound. You just sit in a chair and listen to something. Ooh, that sounds nice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll pitch that on like Shark Tank or something. Yeah. Do get, that. Get the money for that and start opening them up. I would be yeah. totally into that. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then let me give you all my numbers. And, um, <laughs> I, I expect funding shortly from you then. <laughs> Thank you again to Kristen. You can get your copy of So You Want to Start a Podcast now wherever you get your audiobooks. Kristen reads the audiobook, which also features some fun extras like her reviewing some podcast elevator pitches. So we're going to end our show today by playing you a little snippet from So You Want to Start a Podcast, where Kristen asks maybe the most important question to consider when deciding to start a podcast. When Jolenta Greenberg and I first pitched the idea of Buy the Book to Panoply, we had to bring our A-game. This was the company that made shows for powerhouses like Malcolm Gladwell and Gretchen Rubin. We needed to prove we were worth investing in. Fortunately, we knew we had a good idea. Two friends, one a self-help believer and the other a skeptic, would live by self-help books for two weeks at a time. While we lived by the books, We'd also record ourselves at work, at home, and in the world to show how the books made our lives better or worse. It would be a comedy show. It would be a reality show. It would be a book review podcast. The folks we were pitching to were intrigued, but they also had one big question. Why? Or more specifically, why do you want to start a podcast? 
This may seem like the simplest question in the world, or perhaps it may seem like the hardest. Either way, it's the most important question to ask yourself as you embark on this journey, and it's the first question I ask every person who's ever told me they want to start their own show, whether that person is a best-selling author or a college student. Here's the number one reason people give me, because everyone is doing it. And here's my gut reaction when I hear that answer. That's not a good enough reason. This isn't to say that I haven't also done things because everyone else was. I have in big and small ways. I put up with lousy boyfriends. I wore horrible clothes that looked terrible on my figure. I pretended to like British comedy. Note on British comedy. If you love it, I wish you thousands more hours of watching and laughing. But I hate cringing, and it so happens that cringing is half of what British comedy is. And why would I put up with years of sitting through something I don't enjoy? Oh, yeah, because everyone around me was. This leads back to my point. Everyone is doing it is not a good reason. This is why parents for millions of years have said to their kids, if everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? At which point, kids throughout history, dazzled by their peers, have answered, duh, no, right before jumping off a bridge. You need to have a better reason to start a podcast than everyone is doing it. When pitching by the book to Panoply, these are the reasons Jolenta and I gave. We wanted to push the boundaries of what a podcast could sound like. At the time, almost every show seemed to be drawing its inspiration from public radio, or in some cases, talk radio. We were drawing our inspiration from reality TV. We wanted to relay empowering, intersectional feminist messages to our listeners in a format that felt like pure entertainment rather than broccoli. Again, at the time, this was rare. Most shows tended to feature straightforward discussions, or monologues, or lectures on ideology. Of course, there are hundreds of right answers to this question. Here are just a few brief reasons I've heard other podcasters give. I want to build community around an issue or identity. I want to spread the word about something I'm very passionate about. I have a specific skill, a foreign language proficiency, business knowledge, and so on that I'd like to teach. I'm an entrepreneur who sees a podcast as one additional way to grow my brand. I want to give my readers, viewers, and customers an additional way to access my content. Now, think about your why. No doubt, you have lots of good reasons beyond everyone is doing it. But hopefully, your reasons don't include the second most common answer I hear from aspiring podcasters. My friend Dave and I are really funny. To expand on this, Dave and I can literally talk about anything and crack each other up for hours. It doesn't matter the subject. You know what? I believe you when you say Dave is funny. I'm sure he makes you laugh every time you see him, and I'm sure you're also very witty. You have a glint in your eye that tells me you make keen observations that are both self-effacing and truly charming. I like you. But let's dig a little deeper into this. Without any context, am I going to get your jokes? And is the humor you and Dave share enough of a reason to start a podcast? I'm going to posit my opinion here. No. This isn't to say that you and Dave shouldn't start a podcast. You and Dave may very well have it in you to start the best, funniest podcast that will ever exist. But you need to think hard about a solid reason you and Dave should start your show. Here are a few examples other funny people have come up with for starting a podcast. We found a porno novel my dad wrote a long time ago and want to dissect it chapter by chapter. We want to dive into the history of bad movies in a way that no college class would. We think that current events can be depressing, 
and we know we can put a fun spin on them. We love true crime, but prefer to laugh about it rather than cry about it. I hope I haven't discouraged you and Dave. Rather, I hope I've inspired you to start thinking more concretely about why you want a show. Hopefully, you're jotting down ideas and fist-pumping the air and feeling amped and ready for the next chapter and the next chapter after that. But before we get to those chapters, let's hit on one final point about why you want to start a podcast. Reminder, the first way I asked the question put the emphasis on the why. Why do you want to start a podcast? But now, I'm going to put the emphasis on the podcast. Why do you want to start a podcast? Specifically, I want you to think about why you want to start a podcast versus a blog, a book, a YouTube channel, Pinterest board, Instagram feed, and so on. Is a podcast really the best way to tell your story? Is your story so visual that a podcast will fail to do it justice? Will your story be more effective if it's written out or told as a stand-up comedy routine or shaped into a multimedia interactive sculpture? Don't undersell your great idea by wedging it into a podcast. In short, even if you have a good reason to start a podcast, is a podcast really the best way to showcase your magnificence? If it is, keep listening. Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fametta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberline. Follow us on Instagram at HarperAudio and reach out to us on Twitter at HarperAudio Presents.